If I was not a pastor of adults, I would definitely be like an RUF campus minister because college students are just amazing. You leave your shoes right in front of the chapel speaker to inhale that glorious divine aroma. So good job. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we're new to Chattanooga, new to St. Elmo Presbyterian Church. Um, when I was being interviewed by the search committee at St. Another pair of shoes, great. Uh, when I was being interviewed by the search committee, I asked the search committee, I said, hey, do y'all realize that you're interviewing a redhead to be the next pastor of St. Elmo Presbyterian Church? <laughs> Solidarity, brother. And, I was, and they were like, huh, we didn't think about that. We need to consider that. Um, so anyway, glad they hired me. Glad to be here in the South. I'm um, glad to be at St. Elmo Prez. A lot of your, some of your professors, many of you students uh, worship with us on the Lord's Day. It's good to see you all today. Uh, turn in your Bibles if, or you're on your phones uh, to Luke chapter 5, Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. While you're doing that, fun fact, uh, I did visit Covenant College. I'm not Covenant College alum, but I visited this college when I was in high school. Loved my visit, had a great tour, got in the car, was ready to, you know, do my application, felt, you know, write my essays and all that, and my mom turns to me and says, honey, you are not going to this school. You're not going to college on top of a mountain. You're going to fall off. <laughs> I said, okay, mom. So I didn't go to Covenant College because you can't go get your mom, right? So anyway, Luke chapter 5, 27 through uh, 32. Just so you know, um, I'm a last-minute uh, chapel speaker, so you're going to listen to something I've been preaching through this fall at St. Elmo we're doing a sermon series on the theme of hospitality in Scripture. It's part of the scriptural storyline. You're going to love the title of the sermon series. It's called Hotel New Jerusalem, Gospel Hospitality from Genesis Revelation. Isn't that a cool title? Anyway, I think it's pretty cool. Um, but we're, we're looking at God's heartbeat of hospitality for the world and how hospitality is essential to the church's mission. Uh, so we're going to learn about that a little bit today from Luke 5. So give your ear to the careful reading of God's holy word this morning. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word of the Lord. Amen. So last week I read something online about comparing Gandhi and Jesus. And the title of the chapel talk, I don't know if they'll dare to put this on YouTube, but it's What Hath Jesus to Do with Gandhi? So I read this article about Gandhi and Jesus. And, you know, most Westerners, uh, whether religious or irreligious, most of us have a positive view of Gandhi. You know, good guy, love the poor, we should emulate his character. And even most irreligious Westerners have a positive view of Jesus moral guy, guy of character. Now, you and I know, um, you know that there's lots of differences between Jesus and Gandhi, but 
probably most of us would say, if more people were like Jesus and Gandhi, we would do better as a society. And sure, there are plenty of similarities, but here's one difference maybe you've never thought about. Gandhi had a negative view of eating and drinking. In fact, Gandhi said at one point that having a full meal is a sin against God and a sin against humanity. He actually at one point compares your appetite for food and drink being similar to one's sexual appetite. And so it's this immoral thing to have an appetite for good food and good drink. Now, there are reasons Gandhi said these things, sure, his care for the poor and whatnot. But just compare Gandhi and his overall negative view of having a feast, having a meal, to Jesus who comes to us as the Son of Man eating and drinking. That was his reputation. He was the Son of Man who came eating and drinking. Uh, There's a great little book I'd recommend to you about the role that meals and feasts play in the gospel, especially in Luke's gospel. It's by Tim Chester. Uh, It's called Meals with Jesus. And what Chester does in the book, he looks at the Gospel of Luke in particular, and looks at the six big meals that Jesus has in that gospel. And he concludes that in Luke's gospel in particular, Jesus' mission revolves around, orbits around meals. That is how mission happens for Jesus, is around the table. And he says this in his book. He says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is usually going to a meal, or he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. And sure, all four Gospels give us a missional Jesus, but Luke being part one of a two-part book, Acts being part two, we know the missional nature of the book of Acts, Luke really emphasizes Jesus going to the margins, going to people and having meals with people that would not fit your typical PCA church member profile. (laughs) The people that Jesus hangs out with and has meals with You don't see a lot of those kinds of people filling our churches. Let's just be honest. And here's what I find most fascinating about Jesus' mission around the table and who he eats with. Uh, We read from Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors, right? Tax collectors are seen as traitors to the Jewish people. They're seen as having been, you know, sold out to the state. So basically they're irreligious, you know, state-obeying, you know, former Jews. So he's eating with those kinds of people. And then in Luke 7, verse 36 and following, he eats with a Pharisee. So he goes from this secular, de-churched person, and he goes over to like a right-wing culture warrior person, having meals with both kinds of people. Jesus eats with people all across the spectrum. He goes to the margins, and that's how he enacts his mission around these meals. That's what the Gospel of Luke presents to us. The word hospitality uh, means literally to welcome the stranger. And here's what that means. That means hospitality is not simply going to your church potluck on Wednesday night or Sunday afternoon. That's a good thing to do. That's church fellowship, fellowship of the Spirit. That's not getting exactly at what hospitality is all about in the Bible. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus goes to those who are not like Him. Again, someone who's a traitor to God's people like Levi or the self-righteous Pharisee. But this is related to the question that Jesus asked when he asked the question, or answers the question, who is my neighbor? And that spawns the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the similar question for us is, 
Who does God call us to eat with? Who is my neighbor? Who should I eat with? And the answer to both those questions is, it includes those who are most not like you. And this is a summary of the gospel. One of my favorite passages is Romans 5, uh, verses 6 through 8, where God sees His enemies and He decides to make them His friends. That's what the gospel is. Jesus looks at us as His enemies, He makes us His friends, and He calls Himself a friend of sinners, and we now enjoy table fellowship to the one who's a friend of sinners, who makes His traitors into His friends. But this is why, this whole hospitality theme, this is why the qualifications for like elders and overseers in 1 Timothy 3, they don't say, you know, go be an evangelist, go share gospel tracts, go do street preaching. Those are all fine things. But actually the qualification that relates to evangelism and mission is the qualification of practice hospitality. Practice hospitality is a, is a, is a requirement to be a leader to be an overseer of the flock of God in God's church, to practice hospitality, because that is how God's mission normally happens. Um, I'm going to be working with my church, St. Elmo Prez, uh, working with them over the next year on philosophy of ministry and vision and strategic planning and all that fun stuff. And I hope in my sermon series on gospel hospitality is showing them that mission probably is not going to happen in a church building doesn't happen in a church building normally. doesn't happen through programs or events in our space that we own. Because honestly, uh, I know um, uh, one of my church members, Dr. Voss, your professor, can talk to you all about this, about the rise of the nuns and the great de-churching. I don't think de-churched and unchurched folks today really want to darken the doors of our churches just to come to an event. I just don't think that happens anymore. It'll probably happen more around our dining room tables or in our backyards, around our fire pits, or in coffee shops, or in pubs, and what have you. Okay, this makes sense for the church. This makes sense for what I'm trying to teach and preach at my church. What about you all as college students who take your shoes off? What do y'all, how do y'all apply this gospel hospitality, this having mission around meals? You don't have a fire pit in your backyard. You live in a dorm room. So how does this apply to you? I'm going to share, to you, share with you two stories from my college experience that I hope are uh, illuminating and helpful. Let me tell you about a student I knew named, we'll call him Josh. That wasn't his name, but we'll call him Josh. I was a junior, and Josh was an awkward freshman. I'm sure there's no awkward freshman in this room right now. Uh, he was, correction, he was actually was very, very awkward. He actually even had some health issues. But you know what Josh loved to, now you like looking at each other. That's right. But you know what Josh loved to do? Josh loved to brew coffee in his dorm room. And so a couple times a week, he would send out, you know, through text, or back then we would use like Gchat or America Online. Uh, He'd send out a notice to the campus saying, hey, uh, I'm brewing coffee in my room. Come out and get some coffee and drink coffee with me. And even though we were friends with Josh, uh, we didn't like him because whenever he would do that, we'd see a flock of female students walking across the campus to Josh's dorm room to have coffee with him. <laughs> oh, you college students. Yeah, actually, just actually to be serious, like, I think they kind of felt safe with him because he, he actually, he, li- he likes girls. He actually got, he's married, has kids today, but like... <laughs> 
But, but here's the moral. Here's the moral of the story. He wasn't like, he wasn't brewing coffee just so he can like pick up girls or anything like that. It was not his goal. He just enjoyed having coffee. He just enjoyed conversation. He created a space for camaraderie with no ulterior motive. And I think people saw that. They loved that. They weren't being used by him or anything like that. He just enjoyed making and drinking coffee with other people. And his dorm room was just like the most fun place to go on campus a couple times a week. So just brewing coffee in your dorm room, simple as that. All right, second story, and we're going to call this uh, person Kevin. Uh, Kevin was a year ahead of me in college, and I'm trying to figure out how to describe Kevin to you. He's probably one of the most unique individuals I've ever met in my entire life. He was a very tall and just very big, large man. He was, but more than that, he was a very angry man, very angry. Uh, He never smiled. And if he did talk, he just would walk across campus shouting out curse words across campus. <laughs> You're supposed to applaud at that. <laughs> huh. We need like better like audience cues up here, like for a TV show. Uh, because he had some, some struggles, um, he didn't have a roommate in all of his four years in college. He would always sit alone in the cafeteria, usually had his headphones on, just kind of blocking out the world. And this is what I observed in Kevin uh, my first couple years. And I get into my junior year. Kevin's now a senior. And a handful of my friends and I, we were part of our campus ministry uh, called Reform University Fellowship. And our REF campus minister, he told us over the years, he would tell us things like, if you love books more than you love people, then you are no good to the ministry. And that's just so convicting in like our reformed Presbyterian world where we go to all these conferences as pastors and we like have book tables and book deals as if like the more books you have, the more sanctified you are. It's kind of like the implicit message in our conferences and that's just obviously not true. Uh, so we took that to heart though. If we love books more than we love people, then we're no good to the ministry. So we one day decided to sit down with Kevin in the cafeteria. I think probably the first people to ever do that in his, you know, four years as a college student. And he gave us a stare, and it was a stare like you would receive at an SEC college football game for sitting in the wrong section in the wrong jersey color. That's the kind of death stare we got from Kevin. It was not easy. We would endure more death stares. We would endure curse words, but we continue to sit down and eat with Kevin. We eventually invited him to play on our intramural basketball team. We thought, hey, he's a big guy. He could get some rebounds, get some shots. He actually was not that good at basketball, which was strange. Um, but he began, to, he began to smile more. He actually began to smile. And uh, he would joke with us. And he expected us to sit with him for meals. If we did not sit with him, he would get angry with us again. So we obliged him. And then, near the end of the school year, I was reading Kevin's, uh, this is called a Zanga blog. This is way before your time, but it was the most amazing blog ever created. Our culture went downhill when Zanga ran away. It's better than MySpace and all that stuff. But anyway, on a Zanga blog, he wrote just one short post, one sentence. He wrote, well, I guess I'm a Christian now. This all began with a meal a meal in a college mess hall. And it wasn't pleasant, and it took a long time. But it just started with a meal. 
Uh, you all get a lot of spiritual formation here at Covenant College. Um, I've told Grant, Stephanie, Catherine, now Emmy, like they all do a great job with how they organize chapels and everything else and how your dorm halls aid in your spiritual formation. Bible department's amazing. All your departments, integrating faith and learning, amazing. Um, your faculty tell me how much they enjoy advising and mentoring you all. It's their favorite part of their job. But here's the key spiritual formation question I want you to be challenged by. Here's a question that will indicate your love for the stranger and your depth of understanding the gospel. And here's the question. Who have you eaten with lately? Who have you been eating with lately? And just think about your opportunity for mission here. You, ha- you eat three meals a day, assuming you eat breakfast, but three meals a day, so 21 meals a week. So four weeks, you get 84 meals every four weeks, so that's 1,092 meals a year. So take inventory of how you're using your space of eating, conversation, friendship, and opportunities for hospitality, making that a space for the kingdom to be made manifest. Um, The pinnacle of all these meals that Jesus has in Luke's gospel, and really the pinnacle of all the meals in the Old Testament, the festal meals, even the sacrifices, the pinnacle is the Lord's Supper. Like that's the meal of meals. And I like to tell people at St. Elmo Presbyterian Church when we take the Lord's Supper that the Lord's Supper is like the rehearsal dinner before we will one day take part in the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And as much as you and I love and desire and enjoy and anticipate the Lord's Supper, uh, in Luke 22, 15, in the Lord's Supper passage, Jesus tells His disciples in the upper room, He says, I have earnestly desired to have this Passover meal with you. Literally, the language there is Jesus says, He has desired with desire this meal with us. So the best reason to participate in the Lord's Supper frequently is not just our desire, but Jesus' desire to eat and drink with you. And yet, in the biblical story of gospel hospitality, it was the sinful desire of humanity that led to us being kicked out of the first home that God made for us in the Garden of Eden. When the serpent approached the human couple and he says, take and eat, take and eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the text says that Eve looked upon that tree with desire, her own desire. She ate, she and Adam ate, we were brought into ruin. And yet there's a twist. It's a beautiful twist. It's better than any M. Night Shyamalan movie twist. Jesus takes a meal, looks at his bride, and says, take and eat. And so, even though our desire led to our damnation, Jesus' desire of desire is what led to our liberation, all through a meal. This is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is being wined and dined by the bridegroom. It's been said that every human being longs to hear three things in their life. We want to hear, I love you, I forgive you, and dinner is ready. (laughs) We hear all three things in the gospel. We get all three things at the Lord's table. And Jesus shows us in the Lord's table that this is His ordinary means of mission. Mission in this world is going to run through our tables, through our through our coffee machines, through the pubs, through our fire pits in our backyards. And so, let's imitate this missional heartbeat and posture of the Lord Jesus. Amen?
Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these wonderful college students. Thank you uh, just for a beautiful uh, space and place, four years of spiritual formation, uh, to always be looking to Jesus and looking to His meal He has prepared for us. Uh, Lord, bless these students in the rest of their week and for their faculty and staff that support them and love them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.